0: Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And today we are discussing the second part of part three of The Screaming Staircase. That will be chapters 14 to 16.
1: Right. Yeah, that was good since I didn't give you anything to do that. so Good job. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I just realized that. We are super
0: professional. The great thing about my notes for this part (laughs) is that the first couple... Like, I made my first couple notes, and then we ended up having to delay the recording of this, which means in the middle of it, I had a huge life upset.
1: Right. (laughs) So, my
0: second notes are like, what does anything matter? Life is meaningless. (laughs) (laughs) So, that'll be fun.
1: It's an existential shift. (laughs) In Chapter 14, we have, after resolving their final appointment, Lockwood and Co. are summoned to Deeprack. So that Lucy can attempt to read Hugo Blank.
0: The chapter art is the tree with the ghost in it. Yeah. But I was when I opened to it for this recording, I had one of my translucent post-it notes on top of it so I couldn't quite see it clearly. And it looked extremely like the cover of Six of Crows. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is that doing there? That's weird. Timeline doesn't quite match up um but it's not obviously it's like a willow tree. Right,
1: yeah, they say a willow tree. I I could not tell you the difference between trees at all.
0: Uh I can when it's as distinctive looking as a willow tree.
1: Yeah, I don't even know then. I'm like is that the one that looks like it's made out of rope? Yes. Uh is it?
0: They yeah, I think I they're called weeping willows usually because it looks like cuz all their branches sort of dangle down like tears kind of thing. Right. That's how you know a willow. All right, so we open with a Newspaper article on Annabelle Ward. My only note about the um, newspaper here I have is that at one point it says that uh, Lockwood and Co. made safe the remains. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Bit of a stretch. I think um, (laughs) I counted five
1: lies in this article. (laughs) Maybe lie is strong, but.
0: Not quite true. There's a lot of stretching of the truth.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I do really like how, and I think I said this last time. I I love that Stroud like puts in in world writing into his mm-hmm. book. Uh, I think that's really smart. And I think that his copy, in terms of like as a fake newspaper writer, is really punchy and good. Like he's a good writer. <laughs>
0: this uh-huh. just in. This is a good little article headline news. Yeah. Jonathan Stroud, pretty good. <laughs> it's like it's a different
1: form from novel no, writing. No, you're right. You're think right. It's I understand
0: I understand what you're saying. Yeah.
1: But yeah, this is uh I mean, Lockwood loves this thing and he's very proud of it. And it's uh it's riddled with untruths. But as far as he's concerned, it's perfect.
0: Uh, so, this is hilarious cuz today later on in the chapters I made almost the exact same note. But in this newspaper article, they very quickly start referring to her as Annie instead of Annabelle. Mm. And were that me, mm-hmm. I would despise that.
1: Mm-hmm. And, if you were Annie.
0: Well, yeah, fun new truth about Caitlin. My middle name is Annie. And I oh. do hate it. Why my parents <laughs> couldn't have called me Ann or called my middle name Ann, which I actually quite like. Uh, whatever. Let's not rehash my childhood. Um, but I do have, my first name gets shortened quite a bit, right? And a lot of people do call me Kate, and I'm fine with that. But I would hate to be known as that. Yeah, I'm trying to think if that
1: comes in in the articles in the newspaper, as if like that was her
0: they do like, have it, society yes, name? they do have her written as Annabelle and then quotation marks Annie Ward, as though maybe okay. she did prefer to be known as Annie, and that's what everybody called her.
1: Yeah, even if it's not her preference, it's like some kind of society. Yeah, maybe.
0: I'm I'm 100% just pushing my own views about names onto this fictional <laughs> dead woman. Um, But, you know, it's my podcast. Well, it's our podcast, so. Oh, my next note is when George says, "Uh, but I still don't think you should have gotten the press involved so early. I just wrote down, I'm with George on this one. Lockwood really did jump the gun here. But this I actually find in comes up a lot in these chapters. Lockwood is a really great character for this because he does this type of the jumping the gun on things so often that you believe it of him. And he's so useful to keep the story moving that way.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I think that the smooth out his motivation in the show on -hmm. this point a lot better because he has so much personal pressure around deep and protecting Lucy. That's all like kind of secret, um, that like forces him to make a move, like a counter move, which is what this whole thing is. But that's not exactly what's happening here. Although I do think he's trying to make something happen with the article.
0: I think he's trying to put their company in a better light. Because they know that they need the yeah, money, exactly. and that makes sense. Because later on, like the very when we get to the very end of this section, he does something very similar where he just completely jumps in, but you believe it of him, and you don't think it doesn't feel like the author manipulating things to keep the story going. It just feels like Lockwood being right. Lockwood. That's Lockwood. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a very well written character that way.
1: I think it's tied into his age and stuff too. Like it really. Oh is yeah, believable. absolutely
0: and then and and then, throughout them discussing the newspaper article, we figure we find out that they're on a small job, and they're watching a tree that might have a ghost in it.
1: I really like this mm-hmm. kind of a humdrum job, and that they're a little bit bored, and they're talking about you know like whatever they could talk about because there's nothing going on.
0: I do also love uh Jonathan Stroud's description of it here you know he has george say ghost fog coming in and then says faint tendrils had risen from the earth coldly luminous thin as spaghetti winding between the willow and the wall it's just really creepy i find this to be one of the creepier things that happened in this book even more so than later on when we're in the mansion because that one's more like actiony
1: yeah this is very atmospheric and the stakes are kind of low for the whole thing so it's just creepier I also like there's like the little touches about like Lucy gets this bad taste in her mouth mm-hmm. and she's like eating mints because of that. And then George wants a mint maybe for this. I figure it's for the same reason. Yeah. And so there's like, I don't know, that's like a little world building touch. That's like interesting that all of your senses are involved. You know?
0: Yes. I I love all the little world building touches. I feel like we talk about it too much, but world building is one of my favorite things, and I think you also enjoy it. So, oh, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um, I really like, there's a bit here where Lucy, they're, they're still talking about the article, and Lucy says, you know, you make it sound like Annie Ward told me personally who the killer is. And then mm-hmm. she says ghosts don't communicate, psychic connection is a fragmentary thing. But she says that, and literally throughout this job, we see her, getting information from the ghost yeah you know and she doesn't even realize she's doing it she'll just say like oh you know because of this you know he was lonely or
1: it was about his wife yeah and stuff like that i think that's really the point of the chapter yes exactly yeah in in a lot of ways um and then it's contrasted with the next chapter where we find out like the hard limits of her ability.
0: I just love this slow build up of her talent that we have in this book and how almost the whole time both Lucy and other people are saying nobody can do this or only Marissa Fitz could do this. And then at the end like in the in the very last pages of the book we get Lucy doing what Marissa Fitz could do.
1: Yeah, it's unconscious, but it's like clearly built in there yeah. intentionally. I like it a lot. We also find out in here that this is the last case that they have remaining on their books. So they're like at the end of their rope kind of I mean I didn't mean to make a joke out of the hanging but that is what's happening here. <laughs> I think the fact that it's easy is part of like why it's the last thing. Like they probably would have deferred this case to take on something worth more money. Uh but they just don't this is like the bottom of the barrel.
0: Yes. Which is funny because I think it's, I don't know, I think that illustrates, like, why is there hierarchy on cases? Like, these people still have a ghost in their backyard. Mm-hmm. Sorry, in their garden. It's England. Um, <laughs> and
1: even a shade could hurt someone.
0: Yeah, like, maybe he's not malevolent, but that doesn't mean that somebody couldn't stumble into him or that if somebody did get close, it wouldn't do something. I don't do know. Yeah. It's, it's just a weird thought to think that, There's so many ghosts that some people's safety doesn't matter. Feels very real world.
1: I think it also speaks to the problem getting worse because this wasn't always happening. Yeah. And enough time passed that the tree grew over the rope and no one even knew it was there. Right. So, like, a long time has passed since this happened. And only now is the haunting manifesting. And so there's like, it speaks to like the way that the problem is expanding.
0: And also like the people living there don't even seem to know that somebody hanged himself on the tree, which if you bought it, yeah, if you bought it right after that happened, I feel like you would probably know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Uh, But then we have the best part in this chapter which is, of course, when Lockwood gets up to go look at the ghost, and immediately is like, "Something's got me," um, but it is just his coat <laughs> caught on a bush or something. That's really good.
1: I think I saw somebody online say something to Jonathan Stroud about like you have a suspiciously long coat, like Anthony Lockwood, and he was like, "No comment."
0: <laughs> I I do also just love this bit because it's exactly what would happen. You know, if you're hiding in a bunch of bushes, looking at a creepy ghost thing, your jacket would get caught, and you would immediately freak out about it.
1: They don't do this kind of stuff in the show, and I kind of miss it.
0: Yeah, they definitely... I get why they don't do it. Yeah, they definitely don't like to undermine how cool their teenagers are in the show.
1: Yeah.
0: Which is fair, I understand. Uh, But then George says the coat is too long and that it is stupid that he carries it around i'm paraphrasing uh and i did just want to mention that there's a big fandom theory that the coat did belong to lockwood's dad and that's where he likes that's why it's oversized and he likes to wear it oh
1: like he's growing into it yeah okay
0: i i just like that one maybe it's not that well known but it i don't know it makes sense to me um and then i just wrote a note down You know, like on the last page there, Lucy says something like, he wasn't attacking. He was too busy thinking about his wife. And she just knows these things. And again, I just really like how easy this is for her to connect, to know, and to understand the emotions that she gets from these ghosts. It's just really setting up her whole character very well. Like,
1: George immediately questions, Mm -hmm. like, how do you even know that? Are you making that up? And she doesn't have the confidence to be like, I, I know, which I also like. Yeah. That like a lot of this book is about that, I think, because of how poorly everything went when she was starting out. Yes. Where her whole team died.
0: I agree. I like her being quietly powerful. Yeah. Um, so after that, they go home and, a DPrak officer is waiting for them.
1: Yeah, this guy is a real treat.
0: <laughs>
1: yep. He's uh threatens them with implicit violence if they don't come along. <laughs> He's just not interested. They're like, dude, we're tired. We've been working all night. He's like, I don't care.
0: I actually enjoy how awful the police are, and it <laughs> like they are comically awful. Yeah. Which is great.
1: No, that's how it should be. I like here. There's like a when they go to the headquarters mm-hmm. at Scotland Yard and stuff. I really like the description that we get here of all of the different institutions. He he writes. Uh, Close by stood the grave diggers' guild and the union of undertakers. Also, the Fairfax Iron Company, mm-hmm. United Salts. Above all, the vast Sunrise Corporation, with which manufactured equipment for most agencies in the country. So, like. All of this stuff that like profits and is like the institution of the problem is, is like clustered together here.
0: Yeah. I wish we got to know more about the Sunrise Corporation in the series. That, that seems like it must be very corrupt and interesting. I don't know. Like, who designs the little outfits for kids to go out and kill themselves? I want to know. <laughs>
1: Don't they make the silver glass stuff, too? Yeah. Having the sunrise as your logo is so smart in this world, too. It's like, it's such a calculated, uh, it's so gross.
0: I also, I love this. They mentioned that the conventional police and Deep Rec share a building. Right. I want to know so much more. Like, are there rivalries? Do they hate each other? Does one force think the other force is less than them? and unnecessary right like i want some of those stories not that not that i want more cop stories in my fiction but you know what i'm saying i just think it would be interesting
1: yeah 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 to me this is all very noir the way the world is set up like i'm sure those institutional rivalries like you're saying exist and it's not about like we're better at solving crime than you it's about like we're just like they don't care about that right yeah like we're the ones, we have more power and we deserve to have the power more than you do. Uh, and that's like what it's about. And then there's all these other institutions that are scrambling for the money angle on the problem. And like nobody cares about actually solve, like solving it would be bad for everyone yes. <laughs> because like then it's over. Uh So it's just, that's all just very, very noir to me. And the way that private detectives are drawn into that he's calibrated the detective story in this fantasy world to be like a very noir kind of uh vibe to it
0: yeah absolutely and then there's this like small mention that on the other side of the road are offices for most major religions yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: Who are also doing a nice little business off all this.
0: Yep. <laughs> so good. Um there is also a mention about that it's like busier at night, and I just wrote down that everyone in London must have a messed up circadian.
1: Oh yeah. That's gotta be like um economic strata thing too. If you're not well off, like you're probably up at night mm-hmm. way more in this world. Oh yeah. Than-
0: the night watch kids. Like, that's all they do. They stay up all night and watch things. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, I can't believe we just said that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though.
1: Yeah, yeah. Those are the people who are, like, out there in it, you know, like, at yeah. night. Uh, and the and the people who own, like, Fairfax Iron and stuff, they're asleep.
0: Yeah, you they know em- what I mean? They employ people to be out there at night. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so then they're in Scotland Yard. Presumably the deep rack half of it. Oh, my God, I need more about that. Jeez. Um, and while they're waiting for Barnes, after being rushed there, they're, they, of course, just have to wait around for Barnes for a bit. And George starts talking about some of the information that he found. And they also talk about why they're there, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which does cause Lockwood to say something like, I hope it's news about Blake. Maybe they've got him and he's confessed. And I just wrote down L. Lockwood has obviously never read a mystery book before. Right, yeah. <laughs> <And> that's not <laughs> that's how, how it works. works.
1: After 50 years, you're like, yeah, you got me. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, but George has like, of course, George has packed research to talk about and show everyone. I like that all three of them are here. I know they didn't do that in the show and, and there were good reasons. But they're always together in this first book and I think that's like such a good choice. Yes, agreed. To to really bond us to them.
0: And and I love, I, I feel like these chapters are where we see Lucy and George really start to bond. And I like seeing that happen slowly.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. He has all these photos from London Society magazines from back when Hugo Blake and Annabelle Ward were in the press. And so we've got pictures of everybody, and
0: I feel like this was put in simply so that Lucy already knew what Hugo Blake looked like. Mm. I mean, it's where we get the photo of Fairfax later, also, but I don't know. This just feels very timed because she's about to go look at Hugo Blake, so she has to have already seen him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. There's more stuff here about like Lucy's hatred of um, dresses. Oh, yeah. And fanciness.
0: Yeah, her her dislike of women starts early.
1: And I think some of that, I think some of it's good sometimes. I think this is good because it's like you hate the things that you want, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, 100%. When you're you're unconscious of it.
0: I don't think making Lucy this way is wrong. I think the books lack nuance. Yeah. And I think she wouldn't hate all women. (laughs) You know, no, it doesn't make sense the way Lucy does.
1: Yeah, I like that she's like very uncomfortable about all these people dressed up and fancy and enjoying themselves and being young and like in the news because like she's spending all of her nights being traumatized by ghosts Mm -hmm. and it's like robbing all of her young life of the romance of life. And so, like, she just numbs herself to it by like, I don't want that anyway. Like, it's something she can't even have.
0: Yeah, exactly. And there's this really great description of them. Uh, I did not make note of it, so I'm not going to have the words. But it's something like they looked like they owned the world, and maybe some of them did.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's how it feels. Yeah.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I am, though. But Annabelle Ward and everyone, those photos are before the problem. I think the problem...
1: Or, like, just... Maybe just before. Just starting to happen, but like they haven't figured out you know, like the Fitz Rotwell team hasn't happened. Yes. But the problem has.
0: But I, I feel like probably the rich those people don't even feel like they're in danger yet.
1: No, 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 no. They're throwing even more parties, if anything. Yeah. To be like, we're fine.
0: Um and then Barnes comes to get Lucy. This is interesting because even with George there, this scene is almost word for word. Like they almost did it exact in the show, but it reads so different because Lucy isn't angry at Lockwood here.
1: (laughs) I like that Barnes is like tries to intimidate George as soon as he sees him. Yeah. Uh, And he's like, you get rid of that ghost chart. And George is just like, yeah, I sure have. It's gone. Don't (laughs) worry about it.
0: Poor Barnes. He's such, I, I don't actually mean that. I kind of hate Barnes here, but like these kids just own him and he's trying yeah, so hard exactly. not to have that.
1: He's even, I think this, the way this whole thing plays out, he's like even, it makes him even more pathetic because I really do think that he's like fishing for something. Mm-hmm. And this is the best idea that he's got is to bring Lucy in. He's not a good detective.
0: Yeah. Um. I was skipping ahead to the end of like the next page when he's got Lucy alone in the room he says, don't think we weren't close to figuring out her identity, too. And I'm just like, right. when an adult feels the need to prove himself to a <laughs> child, you know things are going well for him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> especially, especially a teenager. Yeah. Like, there's nobody, nobody's opinions do adults care about less than teenagers. Because <laughs> they remember being one and how f- messed up you are. <laughs> like, and this dude's, <laughs> oh, it's bad.
1: You only figured it out because you have more time than I do. It's kind of like. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just as smart as you. It's really bad. I think that's another like trope in detective fiction that he's that he's bringing in is the incompetence of the institutions, Mm -hmm. even the most well-meaning people in them, you know, like the detectives who really do want to do their job. They can't be competent because the institution exists. To like support the power structures that are profiting from the world being corrupt a good detective could never be in Barnes position because he would be fired for being a good detective like yep. that's not what you want there
0: and just as inside just before that he says something like they say Marissa, Marissa Fitz held whole conversations with type 3 ghosts back in the old days and so learned many things I want what did she learn what were the what how I want more. <laughs> it's like people just say that. Like she learned many things.
1: Uh, like long ago and far away. You know? Yeah. Like it's like, <laughs> <just> like nonspecific.
0: <laughs> we're we're not talking about the end books right now, especially since Alan hasn't read books four and five, where we we do kind of learn more about this. But even still I'm like I just want to know more about how that all went down. Like what what came first? The chicken or the egg? That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. for anybody who that's the only way I can phrase that without spoilers and I don't even know if people who've read the end know what I'm saying so that's great let's move on
1: I feel like Stroud would never be interested in writing like a prequel in that way no I don't think so either
0: which I am sad about because I do think the Marissa Fitz and Tom Tom, yeah it's Tom Tom Rotwell story would be very interesting. Maybe not from their point of views, but from, like, if there was a third person involved who just nobody remembers, that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Then um Barnes makes Lucy look at a suspected murderer, and she doesn't like that. And I can't fucking imagine this. Like, have you ever – if there was a young, scared girl in front of me begging me not to do something – and I was just like, "Too bad." <laughs> like I can't, yeah. I cannot imagine that.
1: I think some people love this kind of thing. Ugh, like,
0: that makes me sick. Like yeah. no, 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 no. It feels like he's punishing her.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's really how they play it in the show, and it's like the smart move to do, and it's really gross and bad. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that he means to traumatize her here. I think this is just more incompetence on his part. He really did think that this was going to like maybe shake something out. And it was like I was saying earlier about how she picks up all these things with the ghost who hung himself guy mm-hmm. and how she's completely unable to pick up anything from Hugo Blake. I think this is kind of like negative world building in the sense of like these are things that she cannot do like barnes doesn't understand the rules of the world either in some sense and so he's like well you say you're super powerful so like you know psychic it up you know what i mean like be a psychic and like crack the case and it it doesn't work that way in this world and as powerful as lucy is and all the things that she can do she this is something she can't do yeah
0: yeah yeah, it's interesting because everyone knows that all the, like, psychic talents that people have are only work on the dead or right. on objects that were owned by the dead. So it's interesting that Barnes would even try this.
1: Unless you read it like the show does, I think it just makes him look dumb. Yeah. But I think that's part of the point, too, like I said, is, like, because the people who are in charge have to be corrupt and bad at, at what they do for the world to work the way that it does
0: i don't know if i think that or if i think stroud put this scene in just to make you Blake creepy mm-hmm. you know like it almost feels not bad writing but kind of poor planning maybe i don't know it just it feels like it's here to make blake seem creepier than he is and it does
1: like give more power to him as a red herring. Yeah. Like, yeah. As, like, he is the guy. That we should, like, think more and more, this is definitely the guy because of the way that this plays out.
0: I don't know. I don't know if this is true for if a kid was reading this, but for me as an adult, that just made me think less. You know, it did the opposite.
1: Because you know how stories work. Yeah. yeah.
0: But, I mean, it's a well-written scene, and I like how creepy he is, and I like that you could... You can interpret it as him being a creep or you could interpret it as Lucy being really freaked out and making him seem creepier than he is because we're in her head. Right. Right. And maybe like she describes his smile as being disturbing, but like maybe it was just a smile from an old man, you know, because he's in his 70s, -hmm. you know, and there was nothing. Maybe he was trying to be reassuring. I have my right. doubt. Like, but you know what I'm saying, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> he was just like, here I am. And she's
0: like, oh God, no. Yeah. But Lucy was had sort of freaked herself out about this going into it. Right. And they just came from a job a, where an old man had killed himself, you know?
1: And Barnes is
0: also like, crack the case. Yeah. Like
1: everything. Re- there's is a lot on of pressure. Shoulders. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I, I like that about the scene, that you, especially since I think a. If like a ten year old was reading this, they probably wouldn't pick up on that again, not to disparage children's reading levels. I hate doing that, so I don't know why I do it.
1: <sighs> well i I think as the writer though, he does have to think about like how sophisticated should this thing be for because we do have a red herring here. like how convincing should I make it? But it shouldn't be so convincing that when you find out, He's the red herring that you're like, oh, you tricked me. Right. Like, it's hard to balance that stuff.
0: It is. Um, And then we're into chapter 15, I think.
1: With a Mm -hmm. picture of broken stuff. It looks like... finger bones. Yeah,
0: it must be one of the silver glass cases that they have that they...
1: Yeah, because in chapter 15, Lockwood and Co. return home to find a burglar in the house.
0: Well done. (laughs) <laughs> I'd been going to say that, and then you started talking about the picture, and I was like, "Oh, we're skipping it." Um, but I, this opens with Lucy being angry at Lockwood about you know how his newspaper article ended up with her looking at a supposed murderer and stuff. But I I like it. Well, I'd forgotten that Lucy was angry at all in the book. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a TV show original, as it were. And he even kind of, like, grabs her sleeve here in a similar way to he does in the show. And, then, mm. and she, like, shakes him off and says, don't touch me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I just, I like that. I'd completely forgotten about that. I like seeing the little, where the show got some of their stuff from. The differences. Mm-hmm.
1: Lucy is kind of laying, you know, like, in storytelling terms, she's laying the groundwork for, like, why a burglar would be there at all because she's pointing out that like well because you put out there into the public right yeah all the information like and how we got the information and everything like you've alerted our enemies to to like everything about us
0: yeah especially since they're you know a business from their home and you can very easily find their address um i did want to point out that when they're all kind of Arguing about this, Lockwood does take an opportunity to put down George's looks. <laughs> Say something about his eyes. I don't know, <laughs> which just seems real mean. But in the, <laughs>
1: I don't know if you've ever had a Kindle or anything. Mm-hmm. I've been reading the ebook versions of this, and uh, and I have a Kindle, and when you use that. One of the features you can have is like, if other people have underlined something, it tells you. And that's one of the most underlined things in this (laughs) book (laughs) is where it says, (laughs) so Lockwood's talking. He says, meanwhile, so, so what? He's got strange eyes. George's are pretty odd too, but we don't hold it against him. (coughs) Thanks for that. George said, I thought they were my best feature. They are. That's the tragedy of it. Jesus, that's so mean. It's like really brutal.
0: Oh, my God. And like, I was a teenager. You know, my group of friends would absolutely say really terrible shit to each other. Yeah. But we would never bring each other's looks into it. <laughs> like, there are lines you don't grow Maybe that's a girl thing, though. Like, maybe because girls and their looks, that's, that's a whole, yeah, yeah, whole yeah. situation. So maybe we just know. Maybe guys are different. I, I do not know. This felt
1: mean to me. I was like, wow, that's pretty bad.
0: Like, I, to this day, I say some pretty mean shit to people because that's how I show affection. But I would never say something like that.
1: People love it, though. Yeah. I, like I said, it's one of the most underlined.
0: I mean, they might be the underlining course. it because of how terrible it is.
1: <laughs> Maybe. Poor George. He, he is like the comedy relief a lot of times.
0: I know. It's a, I'm sad for him.
1: Lockwood talks about, like he says, everyone's afraid except for you, me and George. Right. We, we go wherever we choose. Uh, we're completely free. And like, I don't know that that's actually true. I think it's like something that he tells himself, but I think it's also like a thing in the background of like the culture of these books, because there is like, it, there's a lot of like freedom and security stuff that goes on with the ghosts Mm -hmm. like who's really free who's afraid all the time who isn't afraid like the kids understand when it's appropriate to be afraid and not be afraid because they have the like literal sensitivities to calibrate that relationship and the adults don't and so they're just afraid all the time
0: i don't know that lockwood translates that to being afraid but yes i see what you're saying But
1: I think that's his point is like the adults aren't free because they're adults. And like we're free because we're us. We're the teenagers. We have the rapiers on our hip and we're we can come out in the night and be in the world. And we're free in a way that the rest of them aren't. And like that's true. But like you're also like the most ripe for exploitation because of that. Mm -hmm. So, like, you're the most vulnerable while you're the most free. Like, it's more complicated than he's willing to admit. But I think it is a thing that's in these books, though. Like, he is touching on, like, a deep theme of the story.
0: I, I do think he believes that a little bit too much, and it feeds into his recklessness.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: That he believes that they are safe because they know the danger, but that doesn't mean the danger can't touch them.
1: Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: And I actually think a lot of book three is kind of about him coming to terms with that.
1: Oh, man. Book three is such a reckoning, like, all the way around. Yeah, for
0: all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So then they arrive home, and it looks like there's a flashlight inside their house being wielded by a human person.
1: Oh, you mean a torch? Yeah. um,
0: Do they say flashlight in the American?
1: In the written books they do. Oh. There's a there's a part here that I kind of like that bothered me. It's fine, but it's like they're before they go in, mm-hmm. Lockwood's like, yo, George, where's the necklace? Like, did you put it away? And he's like, yeah, it's where it's supposed to be on the shelf. And he's like, I just saw a light in the room where it's, you know, and like Lucy doesn't say anything. Mm. It'd be like, oh, no, it's right here. It's cool, guys. I got it. And because we want that strong reveal at the end of the chapter, but I, it doesn't make sense why she doesn't say anything here. It doesn't make sense to me, other than like because we want the reveal.
0: Especially since we're in her head, like her not saying something out loud makes sense, but her not saying anything in the,
1: like I suddenly felt guilty.
0: Yeah, like like
1: anything. There's just nothing.
0: I was a, I didn't like that bit at first because I thought he was immediately saying somebody's in there after the necklace and how would you know that immediately but he was actually worried that the light was annabelle ward's ghost again so right. that yeah made me feel better about it but he's like
1: <laughs> and in saying that he's like george you're incompetent uh <laughs> you're the incompetent one george did you leave the necklace just out
0: maybe he just knew that george was the one who put it away yeah like yeah. Or, or allegedly was the last one to see it he was like, "Hey, weird eyes. Did you put the necklace away?" God. Um, um anyways, so then they figure it's an intruder and they're going to go in and confront them with their rapier's because why the fuck not? And then there's like a there's like a break in the text at the end of the page for me. And so at the top of the next page, I just wrote a forest by the cure starts flying.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hear it in my head too. Yeah. Through the through the whole part. Although it's very different if you, I didn't realize until reading it very closely this time, how completely different that like the different parts of the house that they're in and stuff, because that basically they're in like the basement for part of it. Um,
0: Yeah, because the person was still downstairs looking at the sources, which makes sense. I guess in the show, it was implied that they went there first, didn't find it, and then were looking through the rest of the house for it.
1: Yeah, because they tied up George.
0: Yeah. Oh <laughs> so they go down and they confront the per I don't know, whatever. At one point I wrote down I feel bad for this intruder because these kids are ready to murder them.
1: Yeah. I actually really like that. The before they go in the house, Lockwood is like, Okay, we need a plan. Here's the plan. Here's what we're gonna do And like it's good to see him like being a leader mm-hmm. and like coming up with a thing on the fly that's like pretty effective.
0: I do think this scene does the same thing in the show and the book, which is show them being a team after a bunch of team upsets. And I like that. Uh, I love the line. We went in search of human prey. Right. Yeah. (laughs) They're just ready to murk this person. And (laughs) I enjoy that for them.
1: They don't really even consider like, should we stop by a neighbor's house and call deep or the
0: police? Yep doesn't come up at all they're just like we got swords let's fuck them up
1: right i don't know that they're authorized to do this i guess they are if it's an intruder in your own house well i don't know the laws in london but uh you can't go around murdering people if you're an agent but like maybe i guess you it's can. okay to use Who your knows? sword to defend yourself
0: uh and when they do confront the person they lockwood does of course have the line can i offer you some tea while you ransack our place that's and great. I that just is Cameron for me now. Yeah. Like it's – it just is. And he he did that in the show. Like he's so cool when he says it. So it feels to me like Lockwood would be so proud of that moment in the show. You know <laughs> what I mean? I, I don't know how else to describe the feeling that that puts in me. So
1: Could you imagine Book Lockwood – being like there's a show about me.
0: Yeah, exactly. He'd be so happy. He would especially be happy that it's called Lockwood and Co. Like both in the books. And even though Lucy's the main character, he was like, that's fine. I can deal with that as long you know, I can deal with Lucy (laughs) being the main character. But it is called Lockwood and Co. Perfect.
1: There's a a really big difference here between the show is how much how important all of the sources are Mm -hmm. and how they're used really effectively by the intruder yes to yeah to fight back i like also how there's like a big build-up like they're slowly going through the house there's like a really good build-up before they get to them about like all their stuff has been ransacked and all the different rooms and seeing all the like different colored lights in all the different sources and stuff it's like building everything very very nicely
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then once they get down there and things are happening, there's this really good bit where there's they communicate the plan to each other very well without verbalizing it. Yeah, they're like plan C. Yeah. And both of them just do it. Yeah. I love that moment for the team coming together. And there's this one moment where Lockwood it, it says Lockwood sprang onto the table, sword in hand. <laughs> And as an almost 40-year-old person uh, with a chronic illness, I was just like, Jesus, that's nimble. Like, who does that? <laughs> yeah, just jump onto it. slowly
1: climbed onto it one leg at a time. And <laughs> then
0: as I was standing up, I decided heights aren't for me, actually, and I went back down. I stepped back down. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, I was careful yep.
1: not to slip on all the broken glass. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's, like, really good imagery and language here that I appreciated and there I like that um, Lockwood does this really wild thing where he throws a bomb at the <laughs> at the guy after he jumps out the window and then it like blows glass bl- back into the house. Pretty wild. It says like a silver white explosion lit up the night, sending the remaining fragments of the window glass hurtling back into the room. They spilled across the desk, clattering against the ghost jar. So the head inside it winced and goggled, shards spilled like ice fanned across the floor. Like just all of that is just really easy to picture mm-hmm. and evocative and like it's full of sound and motion and it's just really excellent writing.
0: And I can very much picture that Skull had a few choice things to say. He's like, yeah,
1: what are you guys doing? You're maniacs. Why?
0: <laughs> I wrote down, oh, sure, Lockwood's the reckless one. <laughs> yeah but i i do just actually in general love how lockwood is like flashy reckless and lucy is quiet reckless and like more
1: important reckless yeah you know threw a bomb for no like it did nothing it, it set I'm off sure a bunch he of car loved alarms the
0: explosion
1: yeah and lucy like saved the day in the whole case because she like followed her instincts and took the necklace
0: Okay, so in chapter 16, Mr. Fairfax hires Lockwood & Co. to find the source of a dangerously haunted mansion outside of London. Dun, dun, dun.
1: What a wonderful opportunity manifested by that article.
0: Yep. So chapter 16, has the the chapter art is, of course, The Locket, and it starts out with Lucy... uh, Narr- narrating i should point out i guess that i'm not in the habit of secreting haunted objects on my person and i wrote down sure because this is the second time yeah <laughs> and as we know going forward she ends up carrying a fucking haunted skull around with her pretty much everywhere all the time <laughs> so is she lying to us or is she lying to herself
1: yeah the most dangerous thing Surely anywhere in any case is always on her person.
0: Yep. A type three ghost. A type three.
1: All you got to do is pop the lid on that thing and it's over.
0: So then she starts explaining both to the boys and to us why she kept the necklace.
1: Yeah, I really like this. Lockwood has like a really strong reaction to this where he's like, empathy is bad. If I've been taught one thing in this world, I know that, Lucy. It's dangerous. I
0: do think he specifically means empathy with the ghosts.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Because
1: it, it blurs the line of like, they're the enemy and like, we're the ghost hunters. Like, you can't feel bad for them because it messes everything up. I mean, I think that's right. You, it's dangerous. He's right that it's dangerous, but it's, uh, I think that it's also, it's really interesting that Stroud does this, I think, because like, he's laid out, you talk about this over and over. So I'm just repeating myself, but he like laid out the rules of like, here's how we hunt ghosts. And then the whole book is like troubling the formula. I feel empathy for the ghosts and I'm going to act on that. And what does it mean to do that? And so like this, this is just coming up again.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And it's so interesting that we go from this book to the Whispering Skull, which has none of that.
1: Oh, yeah, because this kind of, like, yeah, this kind of seals it for her, and then it's just figuring out, like, her method, but then also, like, getting into, like, all the ways that the formula is actually, like, Lockwood's right. Like, like, seeing things from the other side is, like, actually super fucking dangerous.
0: And it makes sense that it's coming from Lockwood, who, of course, watched somebody be killed by a ghost that he cared about a lot.
1: Yeah, it ruined his life. He knows yeah he's got good reason to say this
0: yeah but i just find we do so much setup for this as a as an overarching theme in this book and then we completely ignore it almost in book two and then we come back to it in a big way in book three i I don't know i like that setup like lucy is talking so much about how you know it is just because she felt for the object but on the other side i i always read this as her having this connection with Annabelle Ward that she doesn't quite understand. And so it wasn't her doing this, but it was that she has like the connection is still set up Mm -hmm. because I think she even says she didn't really think about it before or after she just took it. And to me, that's like Annabelle Ward is in her head telling her to do things or Mm. influencing her decisions.
1: Yeah. And that is dangerous. Yeah, I mean, it's her following her intuitions yeah. and learning to trust that again after her personal trauma with her whole team dying because of the way she handled her intuition.
0: Uh, and this is where I wrote down, you know, oh, Lucy hating women because she does say <laughs> that she doesn't think Annie Ward was a particularly nice person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Like, you know nothing about this woman. <laughs> like, come on. i
1: know that she wore fancy dresses and she was beautiful so i know i don't and she
0: liked going to parties you know and maybe she wanted to marry rich so obviously she was the devil yeah this (laughs) this feels like very light slut shaming Mm
1: -hmm. you know
0: like slut shaming for juniors
1: yeah yeah yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) and i'm like come on um i do like that after Lockwood says this was terrible and you need to be more careful and blah, blah, blah. He's immediately like, but by chance it all worked out because, you know, Lockwood always does respect the recklessness, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Right before that, she does like kind of wrap up her argument by saying like, until this man's been punished and justice is properly done, I don't think we should discard her. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, like going back to this noir detective stuff, that's like a really big part of what makes noir detectives heroes in the story is because you live in a world where justice is impossible, that where justice doesn't exist, and still you work for justice. And and Lockwood is articulating the position of like, we don't care what happened to her. Or, you know, like, it's not good to care about what happened to her. Like, that's the that's the line of the institution of, like, propriety in this world. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I do care about what happened to her. I care about justice. I care about what's right. And that's, like, heroic.
0: Yes. And I like it because it, like, we just talked about how Lockwood is a hero. And now you're talking about how he's on the, quote, unquote, wrong side of hero yeah. Lucy. and. It's interesting seeing their, like, two different hero paths.
1: Yes, yeah. He's a particular kind of hero. He's, like, the charisma and... Yeah. Yeah, daring do. And she's, like, a moral hero. Yes. Not that she doesn't do that shit, too, because she
0: does, but... I, she is less flashy about it than Lockwood, definitely. For sure. Um, And then they realize that the necklace is a locket...
1: Right, and yeah. I've been calling it a locket. Yeah, I think I,
0: I, think I've been going off and on with that. Um, and they read, they get the inside description, the A W H, uh, two two one fifteen.
1: Yeah, because it turns out that she's a big fan of root beer. It <laughs> says A and W inside. Uh,
0: okay. Uh, I don't. I'm not 100% sure that A&W as a brand exists in England.
1: It probably doesn't. Like, nobody knows what I'm talking about.
0: I mean, more than people than people. I could be wrong. I I genuinely do not know. I don't like root beer, so I don't pay attention to it.
1: (laughs) My next next note here is the quote, It was generally accepted that the problem afflicting the British Isles was a bad thing for the economy.
0: (laughs) Maybe that answers the question about if the problem is everywhere else, because it did just say afflicting the British Isles.
1: Yeah, I mean, in local politics, everybody would have to agree that this is, like, a bad thing. But I guess you could read that as, like, it's only the British Isles.
0: Although, like, with the economy being so affected and, like, technology and everything, it, it's it got to be affecting the rest of the world.
1: It might make it where England is so poor they just can't join the rest of the the quote-unquote first world you know and like their ability to buy stuff but i don't know it seems like there are plenty of rich people
0: yeah he just doesn't deal with it which is fine i bet if this was in america we wouldn't be thinking about it at all Mm -hmm. you know so it's fine really but it does just because i know how the problem is caused and it does seem like a very localized thing. So I'm just really curious about that. Well,
1: uh, yeah, I'm always going to care about stuff like that. Like, yeah. are there ghosts on Mars? Like, I would really literally think about that. But like, <laughs> but the story is like, it's about Lockwood and Lucy and George. Like, it doesn't care about that.
0: Um, John Fairfax is coming to visit.
1: Yeah, but he just rings him up and lets him know I'm coming to the house. We talked about this in the show that this is weird, it's conspicuous and it is. Yeah. Like, like they just The show does this better. Yeah.
0: They just kicked someone out of their house for breaking and entering and then John Fairfax calls.
1: Yeah. Like the most wealthy person maybe in the country i do like there's like a list of things here it talks about like those ugly iron gnomes that people dotted around their gardens those dorky protecto necklaces those little plastic bracelets there's just like not plastic like dearth w- of iron. shit yeah <laughs> made out of iron that this guy profits off of that does like absolutely nothing like it it doesn't really solve the problem at all it's just like palliative kind of you know products that like Just make you feel a little bit better because he's like profiting off fear.
0: I do wonder if the gnomes help.
1: I mean, it probably does, like, to a degree, the way that any iron would. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, it's got to be a kitschy thing so that you can pretend like it's not about ghosts. It's about, like, decorating your garden. You know what I mean? Like, it's, there's just a layer of shittiness to it that's, like, really good.
0: Um, Yeah. So, Mr. Fairfax shows up. They had like 10 minutes to clean up their receiving room or the library or whatever it is. And they bring him in there. And I love this bit. (laughs) So Fairfax comes in and Lockwood says, good morning, sir. This is Lucy Carlisle. My associate says nothing about George. (laughs) Like let's just be (laughs) so mean to George. And then he calls George Lockwood's boy and and Lockwood does not correct him. George doesn't either. Until later on when George just like slumps in a chair and then Lockwood's like, Oh yeah, no, this is my associate, he works with me.
1: Because George forces him to into yeah. that position, like it's really
0: good. Like <laughs> And I don't know, did Lockwood hope that George would keep up the pretense? Did Lockwood just forget? So, yeah. I <laughs> He did
1: not forget. <laughs> He's just following Fairfax's lead. He's like, Oh no, he is my servant now because he said so. Yeah. Like yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, George does a move here that, like, I relate to personally that I have definitely done some version of this where he like, he piles these inappropriate jelly-filled donuts for this very fancy tea set, which I love. Like, all of this is really, really, really good, I think. Yeah. I really enjoy this. And, uh, like, everything that you said, too, like putting George on the back foot and stuff, is good but then he like he's like anybody want one of these donuts and nobody takes one because it's completely inappropriate and then george is like oh and so then he has to dig down to the bottom for the one that he wants because he put (laughs) it at the bottom in case anybody else took one (laughs) which is like i've definitely done moves like that where, where i'm like well surely someone will take these cookies so then i'll get the cookie that i want down here and then you have to go digging for it when nobody does. I just really, really like all of that. That was good.
0: I love how George isn't bothered by this at all also. He does not care. He <laughs> does so not good. care.
1: <laughs> he kind of likes it even. it's. I. I you know
0: what? Like... That. Yeah, that fits with what we talked about previously with George actively wanting to be the most sincere, but going about it in the wrong way. Right. Yeah, exactly. This feels yeah. like that.
1: Yeah, but he, this whole thing is Fairfax doing a power move of like, you guys are in a bad position. I'm someone who loves to exploit people. This is like a match made in heaven.
0: Yeah, I will say I do love his reasoning here. Like it does make him seem a little less suspicious. It's very well written. You- oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, his logic is sound. I like that. Um, And then we learn about Coombe Hall and all of its scariness hauntedness
1: yeah it seems terrible It's like it's ancient it's been built and rebuilt it's a total maze it's got the red room it's got the screaming staircase which i think when you have the book the screaming staircase in your hand Mm -hmm. and that comes up you're like whoa or that's how i respond to it anyway i'm like oh okay okay end game stuff yeah this is where we're we're headed yeah
0: yeah Um, And then they look at a picture of it, and even in the picture, George can kind of see someone looking out, even though there's no one there.
1: Right, yeah. So this is a bad place. Fairfax even says um, that he can feel when he's in there, like a bad taste in his mouth and like the evil of the house, which is like a good reminder that even though adults can't usually sense stuff, Mm -hmm. if it's like super strong... They can still have a bad feeling, or they can. It's kind of like when Barnes could sense something from the from skull. Yeah, things still do come across, and so this is like a pretty bad situation.
0: But as all that is going on, there is a line that says, "Throughout all this, Lockwood's face had been glowing with scarcely suppressed excitement." It's yeah, really, of oh, course, it was.
1: <laughs> that's one of those lines where. Again, I'm like he feels like a little bit of a Jonathan Stroud self-insertion. If somebody was like, I have this the most haunted mansion outside of London, I feel like he would be into it. He'd be like, Tell me more.
0: Yeah, I gotta go uh <laughs> research my next book. So yeah. I'm yeah. visiting.
1: <laughs> There's the moment here where I mean he like really lays it out on the table, Fairfax does. Where he says, I'm by no means a coward, but I would not for any consideration spend the night alone in the old wing of Coombe Carey Hall. However, that is precisely what I'm asking you to do. (laughs) Like, you just got to love rich people. Like, there's nothing in the world you could give me to do this thing. And that's why poor people exist.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's nothing you could give me because I have money and am safe and secure, but you <laughs> are not. <But> you. <laughs> so there is something I can give you to make you do it. <sighs> wow. Um, he does then describe what happened to the previous team that went in, and I love it because it is exactly what a prologue to a horror movie would be. Yeah. I do love that he describes them as a youth and a girl. hmm <laughs> <laughs> Like what? Like not two youths. No. But a youth and a girl. Like what a girl.
1: It's a whole new category. <laughs>
0: yeah. I wonder if that was like like Stroud thought that Fairfax would do that, or if that is or if Stroud thought thought of them like that. Like <laughs> yeah, what is yeah, happening yeah. there? Um but just the way they went in and like they made that phone call to the caretaker and they were like, yeah, it feels weird, but everything's fine. And then they were never heard from again. And it, it's almost described like immediately after that phone call, the person died because he's still right by the phone when they find his yeah, he's body. He like got the phone in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> like and he was ghost touched right away. And then like they never even say the girl who was like curled up in her, in on herself that they couldn't even, uh, like separate her. They, they never say it was ghost touch. Like, it might have been, we don't know, but they never say, so you're just like, what the fuck happened to her? And then the other one just disappeared.
1: Yeah, did she die of fear or something? It's really good. Like, yeah, the way that the details are not so detailed to leave you room to, like, make it as bad for yourself as possible. Yeah,
0: it's good. Um, And just the idea of him making that phone call and saying, yeah, it feels pretty weird, but it's good for now, and then hanging up and then immediately dying. Like, that's creepy.
1: That's always, every time that I've read that, I've always felt like it's, like, the ghost, this is totally wrong, but it feels like the ghost has the gun to his head and be like, tell oh, him yeah, it's fine. it's <laughs> <Tell laughs> like, And then it's hang fine. up and kill him.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, I, I picture it more like, or, like, I know you were joking, but I picture it like he hung up and turned around and, and was, like, there. in the ghost, you know, when he turned yeah. around. I'm like, oh, so good. And then we get like that they are only allowed two days to prepare and are not allowed to bring flares because he doesn't want the haunted house burned down. That's very good. And then we have this great moment with Lucy thinking, yeah, we would need some time to think about this and not say yes right away. But of course, Lockwood has other plans.
1: Yeah, that's it's a classic Stroud ending to the chapter. Like, of course, we would really need to debate this. It's very complicated. He's like, no debate needed. We're in. If they have to be. I mean, he makes them this ridiculous, this is like really, I think too far, ri- ridiculous offer of like, I will give you 60,000 pounds, the money that they need, mm-hmm. uh, just for doing it, just for showing up. And then if you're able to like make any progress at all, I'll pay you like multiple, like triple their fee or whatever it is. I think
0: it's double, but yeah
1: yeah double the fee for if you're able to solve the case so like this solves this is a huge red flag like the client who comes in and can just solve all the problems they just randomly decide to hire them Mm -hmm. it's i mean it's another kind of noir trope where like you know money is the thing that causes all the problems for the detective and then the people who have the money to hire the detective and they're like i can solve all your very specific problems in this story like that's always the worst person in the universe of the story. So like he's doing the thing like very much but I this feels like so suspicious the first time I read it, I was like, "Whoa."
0: Yeah. I don't remember if I thought if I immediately thought this dude must be the murder guy, but I knew immediately that he was involved somehow. It's just messed up. Yeah. Like like Blake was obvious was too obvious. And then this was like, but why? (laughs) You know?
1: Yeah. And I think to include... So the show doesn't include this in the same episode with the burglary and all this other stuff. No. And this whole section is called The Necklace. And I think to include it here is kind of like when you reread the book, you can see that The Necklace is what caused this offer to happen you know what i'm saying yeah like it's in this section because of the necklace and and everything else that happened and i I think including it there is a way of stroud like giving us a hint and a nod to be like the you know he's the guy
0: yeah i agree did you have a best joke
1: it's i'm it's probably i think the better joke is the one about uh, george's eyes and everything but it's probably for me it's personally the donut situation yeah it it just really tickles me it's good
0: i i think i am gonna go with how mean they are to george about his looks because it's terrible but it's still funny it's (laughs) really good and like i feel guilty about laughing so you know it's well written George really makes it because he's like, "That's my
1: best feature," and he's like, yeah. it is your best feature."
0: That's like, it's brutal. Oh, it's brutal. That's like both the best and the worst joke. <laughs> um, most punk rock.
1: I mean, throwing a grenade after out
0: the, out the window. <laughs> yeah, I punk. mine is. Like, same, the intrusion and them, like, drawing their rapiers and going in. So, same situation. But I love, I just love that line, like, we went to find our human prey. Yeah, like, Jesus, yeah. Lucy, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so, them going after the intruder on their own in general. But then the specific way they went about it. Great.
1: That's good stuff. uh Next time, we're probably going to do this thing again of breaking the part of the book in half. So, I think we're planning to read chapters 17 through 19 of part four instead of all of part four, which was our original plan that nobody knows about anyway. So, it's fine.
0: If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at inferior Caitlin. You can follow the show on Twitter at Lockwood Podcast.
1: And if you want to reach out, please send your emails to contact at HollywoodGroundMedia.com. Or visit the contact page at hologroundmedia.com contact.
0: And remember, we got swords, let's fuck them up. That's how I read it. I also um, have never read a newspaper. Okay. (laughs) Ever in my life. When I was young, uh, pre-internet, I would use the newspaper to look up movie times at movie theaters. Mm
1: -hmm. That's all.
0: That's the only thing I've done with a newspaper. Comics and stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because
0: it was kind of probably around the same area. Movies and comics. Yeah.
1: I think the first six months that I went to college, I was in there as like a religious studies major. Right. And then I dropped that because a teacher was like, uh, you, you're wrong for this. Oh. So you go away. And, uh, and so I changed to journalism major, which I was for like two years. So I was training to be a reporter. Um, and like had to learn how to write copy and all that stuff. And learn about newspapers, which I did not read very much. And then after two years, I was like, I don't even like newspapers. What am I doing? And changed to like uh, fiction writing in the English department. I'm
0: so glad both of us use what we learned in college so well. Yeah. <laughs> in our jobs.
1: It's not what I do at all no, now. me neither.
0: Yeah. I, I went to school to learn how to be a stage manager.
1: Mm-hmm. Now you're in show business on the radio on the internet. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. The night watch kit. The night watch. Oh fuck me! I can't speak. <laughs> it's like non-specific. <laughs> we're we're not talking about the end books right now, especially since Alan hasn't read books four and five, where we we do kind of learn more about this. But even still, I'm like, did she? <laughs> Like was it the talking to the Type Threes that helped them learn how to hunt ghosts? Like, did they give her secrets about that? Did did I want?
1: Yeah, I always assumed that that was the case. That they were like, "Here's our kryptonite. Is this, this, and this."
0: Especially, <sighs> like, so the big no. I can't phrase this question without spoilers. Never mind.
1: Yeah. I'm excited to talk about that book.
0: In a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah at this hopefully,
0: hopefully not that long. Um, <laughs> we are a podcast about the show, so I think yeah. it makes sense that we do so much comparisons when we read the books. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like maybe we talk about it too much, but then I remember that was literally... Our whole goal, <laughs> so.
1: And I want more show.
0: Yeah, so exactly. Like
1: I would keep bringing it up.
0: Uh, before we start chapter sixteen, I'm gonna eat a piece of this chocolate because it's been staring at me.
1: It'd be bad for anything else staring at you. It's a bad precedent.
0: You know what I mean? I guess technically, yep. I've been staring at it, but.
1: No, that's. That's what Nietzsche said. If you stare too long into the chocolate, it stares back. At you. <laughs> Which is the right move. Like, it doesn't matter if there are ghosts on Mars. It's just something that I worry
0: about. Keeps you up at night.
1: Yeah, I just like, oh my God, could you imagine you're just stuck there because there used to be life on Mars and now maybe there's just only ghosts there? It's horrible. <laughs>